0: Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech, Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. As always, we have a few announcements for you here at the beginning of the show. I want to mention D Call for Proposals. This is a conference in Germany, um, so you can check it out at www.closured.de, or I guess it would look like closured, C-L-O-J-U-R-E-D, dot .de. Uh, the CFP ends the 3rd of November in 2015. So head on over there, check out the conference, uh, pro- submit a talk for a, uh, for a, submit a proposal for a talk rather, and, uh, and generally check that out. Looks pretty interesting, like a pretty interesting conference. Uh, talking of speaking, speaking of speaking, I suppose, uh, the closure New York City meetup is always looking for good speakers. If you are going to be anywhere in the uh, NYC area and you have something you'd like to share with the group, um, you can reach out to one of the organizers, uh, Jeremy, um, and you can reach them through their the Meetup website at uh, meetup.com slash closure NYC or just Googling for uh, Closure NYC or searching, I suppose. Googling is a <laughs> Anyway, you know how to do it. Uh, so yeah, I, I talked to Jeremy a little bit at Strangeloop. He was a nice guy and he said, you know, come on by, attend the Meetup or if you've got something you want to talk about, um, let him know. So. Uh, do that uh, meetups are always a lot of fun actually if you're not going to one already you should um, they're a really cool place to meet other people who are enthusiastic about closure very very friendly always good stuff going on um, and even if you're a beginner definitely worth going to so uh, check them out and in particular check out closure NYC um, another good way to help out the closure community besides attending yourself is to support one of the organizations that is uh, working to enhance diversity and inclusion in the closure community—you've heard me talk about these before—so uh, there's Closure Bridge, of course. Uh, you can check them out at closurebridge.org. Uh, great organization. I was just down in uh, Durham, actually, and I uh, got a chance to see the very beginning of the Closure Bridge Durham event. There looked super exciting. People were very, um, you know, uh, raring to go and uh, great people involved in helping out. So it's a cool thing. So you should uh, you should go check out closurebridge.org. They have a, a way to donate there. So um, in addition to seeing if there's an event you'd like to attend or, or um, help out at, you can also give your financial support at closurebridge.org. Um, you can also donate uh, to the, Cl- the Conj Opportunity Grant Program. Uh, at the registration page for the event, so if you go to closure-conj.org and click on registration, it'll take you to a page where you can, if you like, and we would certainly appreciate it, uh, drop a few dollars into the pot to help uh, people attend the conj who would not otherwise be able to uh, due to financial reasons, and and of course the program is focused on uh, traditionally underrepresented groups. So um, yeah, do your part. You know, I think it's a it's a great thing. We're lucky in this in this industry that. Generally, we um, are compensated well for our work. Um, I know that's not true for everyone, but uh, overall, you know, we, um, we've got a, a pretty good thing going here. And, uh, you know, it's always good to give back a little bit. And uh, maybe you might even make a difference for somebody and allow them to jump into this world of, of magic and computers. So um, go ahead and check out those sites. Um, but I think that'll do it for our opening announcements today. We will go ahead and go on to episode 88 of the
1: Cognicast.
0: And let's go ahead. Uh, welcome, everybody. Today is Friday, September 18th, 2015, and this is the CogniCast. And today we are pleased to welcome back as a guest my now colleague, uh, Karen Meyer. Welcome to the show, Karen.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, we are thrilled to have you back. Uh, when it came up, well, should we have Karen back on? The answer was an immediate yes all around. So, <laughs> so as uh, as I was just telling you before the show, we, we have a, a tradition that's slightly different from the last time that you were on the show, uh, which is now at the beginning of the show we ask people to relate some experience of art, whatever that means to them, just you know, whether it's a book they've read or a movie they've seen or something they've created or experienced, something along those lines. So I think you had a chance to think of something. Well, what would you like to share today?
1: Yeah, well, well, the thing that came to the stop, uh, top of my mind was a uh, strange loop uh, last year, where I actually got a chance to live perform with uh, Sam Aaron and Jonathan Graham um, of MetaX, and they did—they created closure music live, and it just sounded fabulous. And then they shipped their rhythms and data about the music that they're creating live over the network to my robots and we had the robots dance moves to the music and also we had a disco ball that you provided (laughs) so I put that under the category of pure art yes (laughs) that was awesome Uh,
0: yeah and so the disco ball I don't know if people uh, remember this but that was actually uh, almost an offhand comment that I made to you last time you were on the show where you said you were planning to have your robots dance at strange loop and I said haha if you do that I will um I will I will you know make you or give you a disco ball and i I was thrilled to take that tiny part of your performance which I was in the front row for and it was it was a really great way to end the show a lot of really positive energy you guys are doing interesting things on stage it was just really just super fun I, and I, I it was just really really fun to watch
1: it was it was the highlight pretty much of my my year (laughs) so i really enjoyed it and uh the disco ball just made it
0: (laughs) uh well i think i think that there are a lot of things that were going on there i hope that the disco ball added a little bit to it people can certainly see it in the video when they they go and look that up because that's available and i i understand it's or it was at least hanging in your office now is that correct it
1: is it's still here yeah i I pull it out sometimes for conference calls you know
0: ah very good excellent (laughs) excellent uh well cool so I, i mentioned at the beginning of the show that uh, I said you are now my colleague. And that's one of the things that has changed between uh, this time recording and the last is that you have, are now a Cognitect, uh which we're all super psyched about. So uh, welcome aboard, first of all.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm very excited to be here and working with a fantastic team of people.
0: So I wonder, uh, for those that haven't had a chance to have any contact with you in the last, you know, on tw- even on Twitter or whatever in the last, I guess it's been something like a year since last we had you on. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the journey that uh, took you here to Cognitect.
1: Oh goodness! <laughs> well, I guess the the journey really begins and ends with Closure. <laughs> so I've fallen in love with uh, Closure. I guess it was I, I, the years go by, but about four years ago, maybe five, and um, it all started. Because I wanted to learn a functional language. And at that time, I was like, oh, should I do Scala or should I do Clojure? But I I really wanted to uh, kind of immerse myself in only the functional way of doing things uh, rather than, you know, kind of having the option to do it either way. So I started looking at Clojure. And I think I can't be sure whether it was Lisp that I fell in love with or Clojure because I'd never really seen this before but just the and the ripple the interactivity of it that I just kind of fell in love and um, I think shortly after that I gave a presentation at our local Java users group and I asked anybody I said has anybody here known about closure or done some closure and there was one person in the room that raised his hand And I said, I need to talk to you afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And that person was, uh, Creighton Kirkendall. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So between us and with some other people, um, Joe Herbers and, uh, Ben Krillick, we founded the, uh, Cincinnati Functional Users Group. Uh, so we started meeting on a weekly basis. It's still going strong now. And, um, uh, Creighton and I are mainly the, the, we're heavy into closure, both smitten with it. So, um, We've been learning it, and I guess that has just taken me. I've always kind of wanted to do closure, and I've done a lot of consulting, um, and I've tried to incorporate it in, and the road has just led me to <laughs> Cognitect. Mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm incredibly pleased to be here.
0: <laughs> and you started with us, if I recall, right around the beginning of June. Yes. That's very cool. Awesome. And so you're finding it very good, uh, I, uh, you've said. Um, I know that both of us are looking forward very much to uh, something that we haven't really done in quite a while, but that we intend to do more of, which is to get everyone together down in Durham. Uh, that's coming up right probably around the time this episode goes out, actually. It's looking like a uh, – I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to attend several of these events, but it'll be your first. And I can assure you that um, there is a lot to be said for having that particular group of people in the same room at the same time it 's just quite energizing
1: yeah I mean it's great i 'm very used to working rem- remote now and um, but still it's it's really nice to actually meet people in person and have that um, you know face and their personality and everything that you can carry with you when you're then chatting on you know skype
0: <laughs> yes indeed, um, so I wanted to ask you another kind of uh, between now and then question, which is. Uh, let's see, last time you were on the show, you we, we talked a lot about your robots, of course, um, and I think you said that you had gotten as a gift a, um, a hexapod robot, and I wondered yeah. whether you had gone very far with that.
1: Yeah, well, um, I put it together, which was a really big project for me because the robots that I had done before that were all kind of just API level, the AR drone. There was really no assembly. You just programmed to it. The, the Roomba <laughs> and the Spiro. Mm-hmm. I mean, the robots are already there and you can control and connect to them and do fun things. But this I actually ordered from a kit and I opened up the box and I was like, oh my gosh, there was about 10,000 screws and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and I was like, what have I got myself into? And it was all laser printed uh, parts and so many servers, servos. Um, So it was a really big project for me to assemble it in the first place. And um, I learned some very important lessons (laughs) along the way. The first of which is make sure you center your servos before you assemble everything. (laughs) 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 Because I had gotten it just about, Finally assembled with all the screws, and I think there are about like 500 screws. And I turned it on and tested it. Went through its test check, and it's one of its legs did not function properly because the servo was not centered when I had actually put it in the leg joint. So I had to disassemble all, you know, the the body and the whole leg and screw in about 200 more screws again. <laughs> after I did that. Yep. So um but once i put it together um and controlled it it's just a really a really cool robot the thing that is a little bit i have to be careful with and this is just hardware right is that if i get it moving too fast its wires jiggle off mm. <laughs> and then um, i feel the same
0: way myself sometimes <laughs> you know like personally
1: yeah so that that that's a a little bit interesting but of course i i finally i got it um communicating with my closure rebel so it it actually danced at strange loop um with the Roomba mm-hmm. and the spiro and the aerodrome yeah so, yeah
0: it was very neat it would like pick up a leg and and wave it if i remember right it was very cool
1: so it's a it's a really cool thing but he's but that's my um somewhat delicate robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: So so have you you know kind of moving forward from strange loop then have you done more with other robots or thought more about other things you want to do with robots since then
1: yeah i mean i I've kind of taken a break short break from um the robots i I don't think I'm ever really done with the robots, but i I've kind of done um, a couple other projects in the meantime one of them um i was writing the living closure book mm-hmm. um but I definitely want to get back to it. One of the projects that I really want to do is, you know how they have those lawn mowers? Those, it would be like a Roomba mm-hmm. but lawnmower.
0: With a spinning um, blade. Yep. Well,
1: yeah. But, but that's not the end goal. I actually found a um, an open electronics plan to do the solar powered lawnmower that I want to try out. But my end goal, my very end goal is I want to have something That'll help my husband weed his garden. Hmm. Like a Roomba that'll help weed the garden. Because, uh, you know, weeding is just no fun yeah, at all. Weeding just hurts your back. <laughs> it's not pleasant. So if I could have a Roomba-like thing that would go and weed in between our rows of vegetables, it would just be such a happy thing.
0: So that seems like uh, if you did it fully autonomous it would be really difficult because you, you at that point you're talking about doing like recognition of visual images to determine what's a what's a weed and what's a carrot and which of course changes throughout the growing season and different lighting conditions and blah blah blah
1: yeah yeah i haven't quite figured out that bit where you able like a band around the plant and say you know just avoid this area <laughs> <laughs> tear up everything else <laughs> 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 I don't know. I haven't worked it out quite yet. That's
0: an ambitious goal. I think it's a really neat idea. I was wondering, too, whether you might be doing something like, you know, burying a wire down the, down the row between them uh, or if you're trying to solve the problem. So then you could just like weed the rows as opposed to like actually trying to pick out between the plants. In other words, oh, not just in yeah. the gaps. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've got a particular goal ben, in that's mind a, there.
1: That's a, that's a good idea. I haven't like I haven't flushed out the ideas. I just have the problem space. The problem space is I hate to weed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So So instead of spending, like any good engineer, uh, instead of spending, you know, over the course of the summer, maybe 10 hours weeding, you'll spend 200 hours building a weeding machine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I like that. So I've I've actually been experimenting a little bit. I don't know if you'd properly call it robotics, but certainly with computer-controlled motors myself, um, I've got this really ridiculous project that
1: yeah maybe
0: we'll talk i don't know if we want to talk about it you
1: should it's Uh, so cool okay but i've seen uh, seen videos of it so you have to share it
0: all right well i'll I'll be brief then because we do want to focus on you but the the basic idea is so one of my hobbies is flight simulators obviously it's not the real thing um however the one of the fun parts is trying to make it more realistic to some limit i don't actually want to you know induce nausea or anything like that but you know one of the big things when you're uh, flying a plane i'm told i'm not a pilot is the feel of it, right? Like the seat of your pants is the, mm-hmm. is, the, is the expression, and that's quite literally true. You can feel things like if the plane is side-slipping, uh, for instance, mm. through the seat of your pants and, and G-forces, <laughs> and et cetera. And I actually saw a video of a, a gentleman who had built something called a G-seat. Uh, now, these are available, I'll, I'll put commercially in quotes because they're typically sold by defense contractors and cost <laughs> $80,000. But this guy built one of his own. And so what it essentially is is a chair that you sit in and it has flaps uh behind your back and below and below your legs like where you sit and they pivot to uh simulate you kind of getting crushed into the foam of the chair right so it'll it'll dip down you'll feel yourself dip down in the chair or dip back in the chair if you're under acceleration or conversely huh. if you decelerate you would feel the back push you forward it also has a Uh, The way he did it, and I'm copying this, is there are straps, like you would actually strap yourself in with a four-point harness, and the straps will tighten and loosen. So, for instance, if you're under deceleration, like you pull the throttle back suddenly or open the speed brakes or something, you would feel the seat back would push you forward, and the straps that you're wearing over your shoulders would simultaneously tighten.
1: Wow. Right,
0: or since I fly fighter simulators, another common scenario where you'd feel that is if you flip upside down. Right, because uh-huh. you want to feel like you're hanging from the straps, and he built his, and he's actually a commercial pilot, and we'll put a link in the show notes to his video. It's quite impressive, but he's actually a commercial pilot, and he says that he finds it to be quite, and the word that we often throw around in the simulator community is immersive, meaning makes it mm. feels you, makes it it feel more like you're really there. So I'm building one of these, and I've got you know it gives me a chance to play with arduinos, and uh, one thing I would say is that s- the solution he hit on that seems to be pretty awesome. Is um, if for high torque applications, like something you might need for um, for your garden robot, wiper motors, like windshield wiper motors, oh, are okay. a really economical way to to get a, a decent motor. The only thing is they're DC motors, so they you can control the direction and the speed, but there's no position sensing. So you have to like with a servo, you say turn to 90 degrees left, and it'll go straight to that position and stay there. With the with the um with the DC motor like that, you have to you can just say go forward at you know maximum rate or half rate or whatever, and it'll it'll do that. But um, you have to figure something out for position sensing. For me, mm. that's driving a potentiometer and just saying okay, go until the resistance is this. But you know it's it is a problem that you need to solve. But I mean a servo motor with the torque that I would need to actually like lift a person up and yeah. set them down, it would it's it would be like five thousand dollars just for the yeah. servo.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great tip (laughs) I'm gonna gonna file that away
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no when you you get to when you get to doing it I'd love to uh compare notes because I'm sure there's stuff I could learn from you and uh, maybe a few things I could offer in terms of tips so
1: yeah yeah
0: anyway anyway all of which is to say that is a really 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 cool idea and I'm looking forward to um seeing you build it and uh, I'm not sure It'd be interesting to see what you decide to do for the actual, you know, weed killing thing, whether it's a sprayer with vinegar or, a or clippers or a laser, perhaps, yeah. um, all very interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. I have to I mean, I make it so it's not too dangerous for me.
0: <laughs> so right.
1: Lasers probably maybe not so much. Oh, that's
0: that. a real bummer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's neat. So what you said was that you've, um, you've taken a uh, you've, you're not doing as much with robots right now, although you expect to come back to them. Now I've gotten a chance to see one of the things that you've been keeping your busy with, self busy with, and that's something called um, chemical computing, which I believe is something you're going to be talking about at Strange Loop, which uh, for you and I sitting here right now is not too far in the future.
1: No, it's it's actually for for us it's next week. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited about sharing this. It was actually it was a book that. Um, I kind of picked up on a whim <laughs> that had some really, it had a very interesting title that uh, it was unconventional programming paradigms. And, and right again, right then I was like, yeah, you sold me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was by Springer and in it just filled with, you know, incredible things. But the first chapter was devoted. Well, actually the first chapter was quantum computing, but the next chapter after that was chemical computing. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting thing. What is is that even? And the reason why it appealed to me is I kind of like to get out of the box. I kind of felt like I did that with Clojure when I was totally used to Java and um, object-oriented programming. And then I was able to step away and, you know, discover a new way of looking at the world and modeling with functional programming, which I I thought was great. It kind of just expanded my worldview. So the same thing is true with chemical programming or sometimes it's called chemical computing. It's just a new way that you can step back and think about solving problems that's not, <laughs> not related to how you normally do it. And just to give you a little overview is that it's all based on it's not actually programming with chemicals, it's programming using the abstract uh, concept of the reaction. So it's kind of easier to see with an example. For example, computing the max. It would not, with numbers, you know, you'd know, you compute the max. You'd go through a line of numbers and you know, figure out which was the biggest one. At the end, you'd have the biggest number. But that's not how you do it with the chemical programming paradigm. You would think of each of those numbers as molecules, and they would react with each other via a reaction. And this reaction has very simple rules. For example, if you had a, two molecules, like a five and a three, they would react together and create two new molecules that would be the biggest of the, of the, the molecule values. So you'd have five and three react and become two fives. And they would do this with all the other molecules in a total random fashion. And at the end, when you took a measurement of this and your measurement of the solution or, or your solution multiset of, of molecules, you would look at the distinct value of all these and you would end up actually with your maximum. So there's, there's a little bit of tricky bits of trying to figure out when you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the cool thing is, is that you can do this in, in a way that takes out sequentiality. And when you don't have to worry about sequu- sequentiality, you can really just turn up the concurrency. So you could do everything concurrently.
0: Okay, so a couple things there that I'm curious about. Uh, one is, so you said you have a three and a five, I think, and the three and the five, you know, collide and they both come apart into two fives, which um, is it feels like there is a uh, this, that's stretching the analogy a bit, perhaps, and maybe not in a harmful way. I'm just curious about this. Because in, in the real world, you would not have molecule A and molecule B collide and two molecule Bs would come out, right? You'd have either one molecule C or one C and one D or a whole bunch of other things. I, I, does that affect things at all? Do you know what I'm sure. trying to say?
1: Yeah. No, you can, you can definitely uh, do that with the chemical programming paradigm. You can have two molecules react and just form one resulting molecule instead of two molecules. Or you could have them create more. And uh, the interesting thing about that is it allows you to control your solution set size. Uh, so if you're having two molecules react and ha- just result in one molecule, then your solution is going to get smaller and smaller. Um, the downside to that is it depends on how you're, you're modeling it, but you might need to, to mix things a little bit more. <laughs> I was, um, in my explorations, I was doing a, a graphical simulation where they were the molecules were represented as uh, circles on an XY plane. Where they would randomly move around and bump into each other. So when I was doing the reducing modeling, I had to uh, do some extra stirring <laughs> to mm-hmm. get them to collide. So
0: okay, so the other so okay, so it sounds like there's some affordances for that, and obviously people can read the uh, the book for more information, or I guess come to your strange loop talk, right?
1: Yeah, and and if you can't make it, uh, they're really good about releasing the recordings. Usually only a few days after the conference, right? Yeah, so.
0: Well, I, I would like to ask you more questions about it, though. One one thing is I'm trying to understand, like, what domains this would be a good fit for because, I mean, obviously for Max there's a ton of overhead in simulating all this stirring versus simply, you know, re- reducing the collection either with parallel method- methods or not. So sure. I assume somewhere there's some kind of win in doing this that uh, you get ahead of the way that you would do it with either more traditional mechanisms or more directly?
1: So, so I guess first to to point out is the chemical programming paradigm is so far just in the the realm of research right now. Hmm. Um, I asked one of the authors of the papers And uh, he said that there's no examples that he knows of Abyss in the Wild, which actually, I think, kind of makes it exciting (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that maybe somebody out there, maybe somebody listening or somebody that gets to see my talk and might spark some idea. And maybe that would be uh, a really interesting application to a problem that they're having in the real world. So um, that's kind of interesting to me. So uh, possible applications to it. There was in the paper, and I also modeled it in my explorations, was a a mail system that was totally self-organizing and uh, also self-healing as well. So when you have these simple behaviors and you can combine them, you can get really interesting features and um, in in addition to concurrency you can get the organization and the self-healing and I've seen some papers um, that I haven't looked too deeply into but where they were modeling um, like replicating memory Um, so you know there's all sorts of possible applications for it
0: Could you explain a little bit more about the whole self-organizing and self-healing aspect of what what in the mail system is organizing or healing itself and how is that related to the chemical computing nature of it?
1: Yeah, so it kind of just all builds on itself, but it's all using the reactions where you would model the mail messages as molecules and the mail servers as molecules and also – you know where it's going, the um, the the routing between the the different mail servers on the network. So the interesting thing that that brings into it is something called membranes. And the membranes serve to uh, separate the solutions, the different multisets of molecules into different areas so they can no longer react in the other areas. Hmm. Uh, so the way that this works is you have a mail message and it's on server A and it wants to get over to server B, but it just has very simple reactions. Like if it bumps into server A, that's not where it's addressed to. It's addressed to server B. So it doesn't react with it. Um, if it reacts, it goes into the, the server, the server has a very simple reaction. If it's going to server B, it just routes it to the right through the membrane. Once it's in the membrane, then it reacts with another network molecule that actually has another sim- very simple rule: if it reacts with it, do this, move it through another membrane, um, and then finally, when it gets to its destination, it finally reacts with the the server B and says, "Oh, I'm addressed to it." You know, that's a simple um, reaction, and then it receives the mail. the The self healing aspect of it is introduces. Um, some molecules whose job is it, they're basically sentries. So they just kind of randomly um, react with things. And if they react with broken things, then they fix the broken things. But that's the only thing they do.
0: <laughs> hmm. So I guess the 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 whole thing comes out of the just let's uh, randomly pair up different components in this system and then by the magic of sort of you know, concentrations of things that need to be done decreasing in the region of the things that do them and the diffusion from highly concentrated areas to less concentrated areas, you wind up kind of creating pressure towards nodes that can deal with that pressure, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that actually makes a, a fair amount of sense to me. Although I still, I guess I will have to, I'll definitely be watching your talk. I'm going to be a strange loop. Uh-huh. So that's cool. Because I want to understand this a little bit more because it still seems to me like like if that's what you want, then simulating chemical reactions might not be the most efficient way to do it. But maybe that's not really what – that's not – I mean you're not really saying that we need to model things as molecules and keep track of their you know, angular momentum in 3D space or anything. Isn't that really not that idea?
1: No. I, I think the whole purpose of it was let's think about modeling the world in a different way. Mm. Um, I think we get stuck in a rut of like, this is the only way to model our problems and um, look at them. And I think taking a moment to step back and say, Hey, you know, how, how is nature doing this? How is this happening in chemistry? How, how are ants functioning? You know, taking inspiration from the world around us is um, kind of a nice, nice thing (laughs) to model things after and see if, if, if it's useful for us. (laughs)
0: So have you learned anything as part of chemical computing, maybe not the whole approach, but something in there that you have decided, oh, that's definitely something I'm going to use on a problem that I'm facing.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if I've taken anything away exactly. Like I, I know that and I'm, I'm going to use it on this problem. I think it's more of um, just better understanding what we're already doing. For example, um, when we just loop over things all the time Uh, we do a lot of things with sequences and doing things in order that don't necessarily need to be done in order like calculating a max but we do it every day without thinking about it um so maybe there's an opportunity to take that away and trade that off with being able to do things concurrently
0: (laughs) yeah very cool i mean i think uh that's very wise on your part because one thing we've said over and over again and seems to be holding true as the years roll by is the tendency towards increasing concurrency and how hard it can be to find problems that fit there or, or to know when you have a problem in your hand that it can be taken advantage in that way. So that's that, at least to me, naively, seems worthwhile pursuing. <laughs> um, well, cool. And I think, uh, like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to your talk and people are going to be able to catch that whether they're at Strange Loop or whether they're not and they can check it out later but there's something else i wanted to ask you about too um which is uh you you wrote it a book
1: (laughs) which is pretty cool yeah tell us about that uh yeah it's called living closure it's um by o'reilly and this is um something i'm very pleased that it it came out i think it came out in march or april and i started working on it um i think like july of last year um so it was a very, it was a big project for me personally, but I was, I was glad that I got to, um, kind of share my ideas about learning <laughs> closure. And so far I think it's resonant rated ra- with, um, um, uh, quite a few people. And the, the approach is with the same that I took with running. <laughs> so a while back, um, I, and you know, I, I had tried running through, throughout the years and, I never did it very far. I would like run for 10 minutes and I would be just feeling like I was going to throw up. And um, I just figured I just couldn't run. You know, it just wasn't for me. And it wasn't until I ran into a program that was called Ease into 5K that I just had this epiphany that, hey, maybe I was doing too much at once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe I could just do a little bit at a time and gradually build up to it which i did i thought i could never never run for 30 minutes but you know using the program and just walking for a, a little bit and then running for a minute and then walking some more and, and just gradually building up i was able to build up my strength and finally run and i had just gotten done or in the midst of this program when i was out at one of our user groups and somebody said that they had picked up closure a closure book And they had read it all on a weekend. (laughs) And then they tried to do it and they just thought that it was just too hard and they couldn't do it. And I thought that's the same thing. That that is the same exact thing that I was doing trying to just run all at once. That, you know, just trying to do too much at once. And maybe some people can. you know, They can just read a whole book over the weekend and pick it totally up. But that, that definitely wasn't true. For me, um, coming into Clojure, it took me a long while to learn it and um, just get used to a new way of thinking from object oriented. So I think it was a muscle, a just new way of modeling and approaching the world. Um, So my goal was to kind of give that ease into 5K approach to learning a functional language for people. And just to let them know that, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to happen all in a weekend or two weekends. Um, so you can break it up and do a little bit at a time and kind of train your brain to think a new way. So the book is divided up into two parts and it is an introduction. So the the, the, the first part is a, is a pretty concise, just walkthrough of some of the basics of the language. And then the second part is actually a seven week training program um, that starts off with doing some exercises for uh, foreclosure and that's foreclosure.com which is a fantastic site and then um, brings you into some katas that i made and then finally um, doing a web app at the end hmm.
0: i like it that's a really cool idea the training program i think that's actually something that people ask a lot as they've read the the basics and like well what do i what do i do now like especially if they're not working in closure they're like how do i like what do I do? I read the book, so what? That's it's great that you actually have, um, uh, at least to some degree, a plan of action. That's very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think it's resonated with um, um, some people. So I'm I'm very pleased about that. And uh, another book just came out, um, Closure Applied um, on Prague, that is actually a really nice complement that goes into um, some very practical aspects of once you have the underpinnings of the language, it's- how to design and. And approach
0: right, and that's uh, Alex Miller and Ben Van Grift. Yeah, and yeah. they were just on the show, and that episode is out talking about the book. T- it is out talking about the book, so uh, so they can they can check people can check that out too. Cool. Um, so I want to ask about the title though, "Living Closure." What, what that I'm assuming that you chose that for a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, well, one of the things that really got me into closure and um, attracted me was the community. It's just full of fantastic people, and um, actually the first open source project that I worked on was Mm. (laughs) foreclosure.com. So, and it was a fantastic experience, a great way to uh, contribute and to learn about the language at the same time. And I really wanted to devote some time in the book. And I did it's, it's, there's a whole chapter devoted to um, kind of plugging into the community and places you can go to talk to people and resources that'll help you on your way so i wanted it to be you know a plugging in practicing and actually starting to you know to live it so an ongoing thing
0: Mm -hmm. okay cool that's that's awesome actually and um i know that there's a i unfortunately have not i i have a really hard time being plugged into sort of active things while i'm working and i know there is for instance i mean maybe you can give some other examples of places that people can go but I know there's a slack channel now for closure yeah, there is
1: that, that actually sprung up um after the book came out because you know communities are a living thing mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's fantastic there is I forget what the final count is but I think it's nearly 2,000 mm-hmm. um closureists or closureians however you want to say it <laughs> across the world so
0: and so you hang out there sometimes right I
1: do yeah I hang out there um I hang out and yeah, you know, other places to them, mailing list, um, GitHub, you know, all the places on the web. Twitter Twitter is where I kinda of hang out the most. Mm-hmm. So.
0: so as long as we're on the topic of the book, I think I remember you saying uh, that you went to a book signing. And I believe you brought at least one of your kids along.
1: I did, yeah. I brought my daughter to um, OSCON where um, they have uh, certain times during – it was the O'Reilly Conference. Um, they devote to authors and you know book giveaways and book signings. So that was a really um, – it was a fun experience for her. I told her that um, if, no one, if no one showed up, we were going to go out and get ice cream afterwards. <laughs> And if anybody showed up, we were going to go out and get ice cream afterwards. So it was really a win-win situation. People did show up, so that was good.
0: So I'm curious uh, about a couple of things. First of all, generally, your daughter's experience at us, kind of what it was like—and I believe she is um, similar in age to my uh, to my kids, which is to say, sort of, you know, late elementary school. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm curious both about her general experience and your general experience taking her to a technical conference and then also specifically about whether you could sense any what what her perception of you was when you're sitting there like signing books and and other grown-ups are coming to you for your expertise I mean you know what I mean like it's kind of it's a different aspect of your life that they don't get to see very much I assume yeah
1: yeah she had a really great time but one of the things that she liked the the best about it is they had these um badges where you could put ribbons of the stuff you were interested on so she had like java you know all the other she had like her her ribbon badges of her interest were like almost touching the ground (laughs) but um it was funny because since she's really into minecraft java was like her top language they have a little chalkboard that um you get to to write things down so she she wrote java so (laughs) so that's cool Although I'm trying to get her into closure too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. She can do Java too.
0: Absolutely. I mean I don't think I don't uh-huh. think any of us that do this for a living are familiar with exactly one language. I don't, yeah, I don't exactly. even know how you would do your job if that were the case. Even. Exactly. Exactly. Um even if that language happens to be, you know, something like closure. Anyway, um but I'm curious more about what the signing was like,
1: whether there was any Oh no, she 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 liked it. She kinda uh, she, she was hanging out with me for like the first five minutes and then she got kind of bored <laughs> <laughs> and went off and like played the game on the phone. Did she, but, um...
0: <laughs> did she say anything to you later? Like, you know, why did these people want to come or, you know, anything like that? You know?
1: No, she was, she, she's kind of, kind of accepting about sure. that that thing. She knows I go off to conferences and, and stuff like that but we are actually we're working on a book project together now so that that's fun we're we're working on uh, writing a young uh, adult novel like a a teen girl novel basically uh that's going to have a programming heroine in it uh so she's helping me with all my um my editing choices of uh, names and and helping with the plot and everything like that, so that's kind of a fun project for us together.
0: That is very cool. And do you have a, a publisher or any other kind of a plan, or is it still pretty early?
1: <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm just on Lean Pub right now, so I haven't I haven't put anything out there. But uh, we only have uh, four chapters done, but we're adding to it a little bit all the time. But the fun thing is, is that um, you know, she's really involved, and every time I get a chapter, she's like, "Can I read it? Can I read it And now my son is really interested in it, and then they're you know he's reading it too, and he's doing some like concept art for it um so it's it's a it's a fun project for us all.
0: very cool. Maybe you'll come back on when it's done and uh, tell us more about it
1: <laughs> there you go,
0: awesome. Well, what else? Like, I mean, you're always working on so many things. I mean, you're probably a bit focused on, maybe not, maybe you're a bit not, but I would assume you're a bit focused on your talk for Strange Loop since it is next week. Yeah. Um, you got anything else kind of on the, on the back burner in addition to writing a novel and having written a book and doing chemical computing and all these other cool <laughs> things you're into? Is there anything yeah, else going? I just
1: have a list of things. I guess my, my latest thing is, is actually trying to type on my new keyboard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a um, – and it's a fantastic keyboard. Um, it's it's an Atreus keyboard by um, uh, Phil um, – who he- says that that same? He- Hegelberg,
0: Hegelberg, I believe. He-
1: Hegelberg, yeah. It's technomancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was my – one of my first soldering experiences because it, it does come as a kit, and you have to solder, solder it all together and solder the microcontroller and the pins on the microcontroller. So that was like a big deal for me, and I soldered all the switches on. And I was amazed, amazed <laughs> that when I finally fired it up and loaded the software, like everything worked. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> No way. So um so I have it up, I have it functional. The but- I'm just having a hard time, um, adapting to using it. So all the keys are in kind of a different place and there's like two lo- levels. So I have to train myself. I mean, I, I have like all my Emacs fingers, kind of all the muscle memory and then everything moves. <laughs> so, um, I'm working a little bit like every day to, um, try to train myself again.
0: Yeah, I put together an ergodox uh uh which is a similar it's a so the I believe the Atreus is a s it's a split uh keyboard, so it's in two pieces and the you know, with the modifier keys generally clustered on the thumbs, which I think is yeah. a, which is a great thing and it was one of the things I really liked about the um oh gosh, what's the one Stuart Sierra uses? The it's a, it's a it's not a split keyboard, but it is. That's so kinda of like the dished out two mm-hmm. keys. It's a really uh-huh. fancy one. Anyway. Can't remember the name of it right now. Um, I, but it has the same thing where the, like the modifier keys are available on your thumbs. And I like that idea, but I tried the Ergodox for something like a month and, um, I got faster, but I never got all the way up to the speed that I use with a regular, uh, yeah. keyboard. And for me, like, I don't have any problems with, you know, RSI fortunately. So I, I can use a regular keyboard all day long. So I kind of put that one away and now I'm using this, um, uh, Logitech wireless keyboard. It's solar powered, but it's
1: what? It's solar powered. Yeah, it's
0: solar. No, and, and I got to tell you, the battery, even like in room light, you know, you don't have to ha- It doesn't have to sit on a windowsill or anything. One hundred percent charge all the time. It's no great. Way. I really, really like it. Huh. Okay. Um, and it's just like a really thin piece of plastic with almost a chiclet style keyboard. Not quite the, not quite the chiclet level of the Apple stuff, but it is an Apple layout. And I have another. Um, you know windows layout for my uh, for my windows machines i it's really really nice uh, wireless solar keyboard i really dig it
1: that is really cool i yeah. will have to check that out yeah. I, I like the solar aspect of it
0: yeah you know i mean i don't have many contexts where i did actually was trying to set up a computer on the tv out in the the family room there and uh, it was really great to have a keyboard that you could just kind of cart around on the couch you know cuz it's not there's no cord the computer's way on the other side of the room and it worked great for that um, I don't really have a need for that here at my desk. There wouldn't be a problem to plug it in. But um, I do – despite the fact that I don't need it, I do like the wireless. Like I can pick it up and move it around and it's one less cable draped across my desk. And it's just, yeah. it's just a good keyboard. I mean I like the travel and the, the pressure and the it's got a numeric keypad, which I tend to prefer and things like that.
1: Cool. Wow. Yeah, keyboards are funny things. And, the, and the people like totally have their, their preferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah, yeah. People have uh, – if they've listened to the show uh, many times, they they know it's an, an area of interest of mine. But uh, I think for now I'm – and then, you know, if, I mean, I won't – I promise I won't go off on this. But flight simulators <laughs> are a whole other area of input because a keyboard there is actually one of – for me at least, one of the worst ways to control the thing. Mm. Y- you know, I'd, I'd like to fly F-16 simulators and there's s- approaching 300 switches in the cockpit. So even if you assign one to every key on the keyboard, you know you have the problem of trying to remember them. So it, it just how
1: do you even do that with 300?
0: You you don't. I mean I think that ultimately you do you do not mm-hmm. interface with it primarily through the keyboard. There might be one or two things you do that way. There's still a couple, but what but what people that are really into it start to do a lot of them anyway is to um. There's sort of a <laughs> you you, go out, you get on this path it seems after a while if you're into it where you asymptotically approach building a cockpit, right? now, and I'm not joking. I mean, like, there are... You can go find videos in there. People have built what looks, you know, very, very much like an F-16 cockpit. They climb in. The same instrumentation is there with, uh, you know, gauges with needles that move and all the same switches. And people go to great lengths to find switches that are the same shape. You know, like, so they have this... You know, if the knob is square, then it should be a square knob in this, in this place. And um, I, I've got a rather... Um, I'm looking for a word that means the intersection of impressive and pathetic setup <laughs> myself. Um, you know, I've, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I've done a lot of work to start to move in that direction, but I think it is, like I said, an asymptotic path. And I think to bring it away from my hobby and back to something that most of our <laughs> listeners would care about, I think um, input devices are a rich area for that, but, but completely, almost completely untapped. Like I think mm-hmm. you're, you're about as far down the road as anybody can get in our profession, like you've built your own keyboard, but you really haven't built your own keyboard, right? You, yeah. don't, you don't have much control over the shape of the thing. And I think, I, I, I wonder for, I mean, for me, uh, like the amount of work I've done on creating custom input solutions, because I've got like physical switches wired up to an Arduino and all this stuff, um, you know, and that's just a hobby versus this thing I do all day long. Well, it feels to me like there might be a lot of interesting work that we could do as a, Profession around customizing input way beyond the types of stuff that you know people like you and and me have done you know just around like um, different keyboards that, yeah. that we just put together.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, so there you go, Karen. There's our and I'm going to say this <laughs> with the explicit <laughs> understanding that this is not a commitment, the way the disco ball wound up being. <laughs> Um, but I would love sometime to uh to work on this problem with you. Maybe you and I could uh use our newfound soldering skills or whatever to um to come up with a more interesting way to input text into a computer uh, so that we could use in our day jobs
1: yeah yeah definitely yeah awesome. some people some people have talked to their wasn't there a um a yes. presentation where a fellow uh, i forget his name um Uh, that did he was doing controlling emacs with his voice
0: yes yeah that was at strange loop maybe two years ago uh we we will find the presentation and put a link in the show notes but it was exactly that um
1: i found that kind of fascinating although i'm not sure i'd want to talk to my computer all day i don't know
0: (laughs) yeah as a guy that used to talk for a living 20 30 hours a week you know it's um, it's again maybe coming along to your um to your point about having to build up muscles it's certainly not something you'd want to jump right into you will you will lose your voice um, but I thought the interesting part there, and this I think speaks to what you were you know we were talking about around um either customizing input and changing things, is he had all sorts of like um special phrases that he would use, like splort, pop bloop like these made up words that meant meta x or the things that he needed to do that didn't have a direct representation if if you were just trying to speak you wouldn't want to say well now press the control key he had he had to develop customized input solutions for for addressing the problem at hand. And I think it's kind of a user experience problem of of yeah. doing that type of thing. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. I got I really went off there and I didn't mean to. Uh, no,
1: no. I, it's, I mean, that's what we spend most of our work doing, right? Finding ways to input stuff into a computer. Yeah. So it, it is kind of important for us.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, I, I I don't want to keep you too much longer. I mean, this is uh, Friday. We both have, you know, people think, oh, open source Fridays, that must be nice. You can just sort of sit around and sip a drink. But um, I think it's actually uh, quite possibly the busiest day of the week for many people at, at Cognitech. And I'm sure that's uh, not less true for you, given the number of things that you're juggling. So we should probably start to wrap up so you can get back to some of those things. But um, I do want to give you the chance before we go to um, bring up anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners.
1: Um. No, I think we covered quite a bit.
0: We did, we did. I think there's more we could talk about for sure, but it sounds like there's at least one more reason to bring you back and I know that you will uh, invent 12 more. I mean, it's only been a year since we had you on. You've already done, you know, 19 other cool things and and that's what I don't think any of them were even robots. So, uh, you know, we'll have to we'll talk more about that. Well, cool. Well, then we will go ahead and start to wrap up there. Um as our long-time listeners know, there's one more question that we ask at the end of the show of our guest, and that question is about a piece of advice that our guests would like to, to share with our listeners, maybe something they've heard, maybe a piece of advice they like to give, or whatever along the lines of uh, advice. So what advice do you have for us, Karen?
1: Uh, just really basic, universal things of be kind. <laughs> so I think if we were all just kind to each other, <laughs> that would be great.
0: I dig it. That's Yeah, the simple—I mean, we— we talk a lot about simple <laughs> at this company and uh, I think that's a really good simple. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. You have been very kind, Karen, to share your time with us today and your uh, your many, many interests. And uh, I'm really looking forward um, uh, not just to seeing your talk uh, next week at Strangely, but also to get to hang out with you in person. That'll be super yes. fun. Yes,
1: I'm super psyched.
0: I am as well. So um, we will thank you once again for being on the show and look forward to having you back. And we will thank our listeners as well. This has been the Cognicast. You have been listening to the CogniCast. The CogniCast is a production of CogniTech Inc, whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at @cognitech. You can subscribe to the CogniCast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art and show notes at our home on the web cognitech.com/podcast. You can contact us by tweeting at @cognicast or emailing us at podcast@cognitech.com. Our guest today was Karen Meyer on Twitter at GIGASQUID, G-I-G-A-S-Q-U-I-D. Episode cover art is by Michael Parenteau. Audio production by Russ Olson. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs)